before I have the scripture reading, I've got to say, I was over at the Washington Church a number of years ago. This was before you came into being over there as the, the pastor and the leader. I was supposed to preach that Sabbath. We got there, and there were four of us, actually five of us, and three of us had come in the car, so there were only two more people there. That was fine until just before church started. A whole bus pulled up. It was a busload of Portuguese from down on the Cape. And the elder who came with them says, I'm going to translate for you. Well, I have a hard enough time preaching a sermon as it is. But to have to try to be translated, that was something else. But at any rate, it is a great time to go over and, and visit uh, the Washington Church. Uh, we've done, uh, our, I know our pastors preach several sermons over there. We've gone several other times. We had to do it more often. Fill up the church. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John 5. John 5, verse 44. John 5, verse 44. How can you believe who receive honor from another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? May we always seek that honor from God. We would ask that uh, the Lord would be with our speaker this morning as he brings us the word. And we're all going to forsake you and leave. That's okay. I was telling, um, I think it's, is it John, who is up here? You, uh, I grew up as a Catholic when I first got started in, uh, in life. My parent, family are Catholic. And the term ex-cathedra means out of the chair. And I said, this is probably the best ex-cathedra chair for an Adventist that I've been in for a while. So maybe I should stay in it so you would think I'm infallible, but... Uh, trust me, I know myself I'm not. <laughs> um, will the deacons please pass out the uh, John study guide? I'm trying to get people to study the Gospel of John. I really believe it's an important Gospel for us. And I'm just going to give you a couple texts uh, and some information about the Gospel of John because it's where I've been um, getting most of the sermon ideas that I've been using and it's about revival. So when you come to Washington, uh, many of the tour guides do things based on nostalgia, telling the stories. But my wife and I have always tried to tell the stories from a revival perspective. Things that the church does for us. For instance, remember she called it the meeting house? Uh, the church is the people, not the building. The church meets in the building. So let's say the government shuts down the Adventist church. Can they really do that? Not unless it's a building. Then they can shut it right on down. But can they stop you from being the people of God? No. So we want to get back to the theology that has, has led for us. For instance, I teach William Miller's Bible study method. Why? Because that's how I became an Adventist. I became an Adventist because I learned to study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. 
that William Miller accidentally did. And you remember the people on the road to Emmaus? What did Jesus tell them? He told them all about himself, starting in Moses and the prophets. And today we have the New Testament, because remember that wasn't written yet. So I want you to understand as we go through this, we're telling people things. Because when I started studying the Sabbath, if I would have just bounced all over the place, I wouldn't have got the answer that Adventists get. Do you understand? Where is the Sabbath first mentioned? Genesis 2. It should be in Genesis 1, but the guy on the saddle who was editing separated the chapters there. Okay? There's a story about a guy in the, who edited the Bible when it was first coming out was doing it while riding a horse okay and so there are some stories about where commas are that that probably is some of the best explanations but the reality is it starts there and we follow it the old testament what they were they supposed to keep sabbath what does the fourth commandment say we're keeping the sabbath because of creation in Deuteronomy 5, we keep the Sabbath because of, for a redemption, because it's about coming out of Egypt and slavery. In Ezekiel, you keep the Sabbath for sanctification. Ezekiel 20.12, and then 20.20 says God is our God because we keep the Sabbath. We're, we're accepting God as our God, and God is accepting us. That's our covenant. You get to the New Testament. What day did Jesus, was his custom? Sabbath. What, what was he the Lord of? the sabbath when john has his vision in revelation it's on the lord's day which is the what day did paul keep sabbath even when there wasn't a synagogue remember if you had six jewish families you had to build a synagogue in a town so he went to the river on sabbath because there wasn't even six jewish families so you get to the end of the book of revelation what day is everybody keeping sabbath you go back to Isaiah, he says, what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to keep Sabbath. So you, you, you go through this whole thing, you say, okay, so why are we keeping Sunday? That's an Adventist question that other denominations do not get because they do not study the Bible the way we study the Bible. State of the dead, where's the first place you find the text of the state of the dead? What's the definition of a soul? He breathed in the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Right? Jacob goes down to Egypt. Did you know he had 70 disembodied spirits with him? Because the King James says he took 70 souls with him. Except 70 souls, what? Who's a soul? We are. We don't have a soul. We are a soul. Okay? That's the definition. Do you get that if you throw away the Old Testament? Nope, and that's where we go to the Greeks. And my church went to the Greeks when I was a child and, and changed all the issues about life and death. By the way, what's the only way you can be saved if you've died? First Corinthians says if there is no resurrection, they are all perished. First Corinthians 15. So when we, when we study the Bible, and I'm trying to teach people that, and I have what I call five-minute um, revival sermons. These are little things that you can pick up at Washington. They're on our, our literature rack, and they are simple. They're not always easy. Okay? So today, I was studying the Gospel of John, and there's a couple key things for this study that I want you to, when you do this. There are three things that you need 
to really look at the Gospel of John that will help you just, wow, did he really say that? Because the Gospel of John has huge promises. We talked in Sabbath school up here a little bit about them. But here's the three things I found when I first stu- went through the Gospel of John and for this study. I went, I've gone through it six, seven times because there's some things I didn't pick up right away. When you pick them up, then you start seeing some things that are different too. I'm going to give you all those clues so when you study, you can go, wow. Okay? And the reason I'm doing this is because when we get done today, I'm going through a sermon series at Washington called The Blue Screen of Death. Does anybody know what the blue screen of death is? If you have a computer and it's ever locked up, we call that the blue screen of death. And why is that? Because there's conflicts within your computer that lock it up. So it has commands, or when the RAM memory is recycled, you left it on too long, the the code has gotten corrupt. So, as a Seventh-day Adventist, I looked at this and said, when I was looking at my computer one day, waiting for it to reboot, I said, what if we did this with our experience as a Seventh-day Adventist? What if we rebooted our experience? But this time, not as when we first got in and didn't know very much, but with all of what we know to get rid of all those conflicting codes and to get a stable program, what will we do differently? So the Gospel of John has helped me to write the stable code for my experience. So three things are there. There are three relationships. How Jesus relates to the Father, how Jesus relates to believers, and how Jesus relates to non-believers. There are two keys to this, and that is the Bible in John, the Gospel of John teaches that the relationship Jesus had with his Father is the relationship he wants you to have with him. So whatever you see about the Father, you're going to see about him for you, and he says, if you have this with me, you have this with the Father. This blows me away, doesn't it? Because I understand my relationship with Jesus a little better than the Father, but Jesus guarantees when you read the statements, whatever relationship you have with him is the same as if it was the Father. He tells the disciples over and over again, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's powerful stuff. He says, if you treat this person this way, that's the same as treating me this way. If you give this person a cup of water in my name, It's as if you gave it to me. That's powerful stuff when you read the Gospels. The Gospel of John talks about it. But then there's another thing, and this is where it gets a little scary, but I'm going to tell you it because you need to know. The relationship that Jesus had with his non-followers, both the followers and the non-followers are church members. When you read the stories in the Gospel of John, you are reading about followers and non-followers. And there are certain things that we're, you're going to find out that Jesus says, how do, how do I know my people? Because when the, they hear my voice, they follow me. When they hear my voice, they follow me. How do I know the non-followers? When they hear my voice, they don't follow But the scary part is this is church members. 
Sometimes leadership of the church. So we have to talk if we're living in these last days. What am I going to do? So I want to start there. And I want to tell you that I'm going to help transfer us from the remnant church, which was important to me when I grew up, to start talking about the remnant people, which is the 144,000. And we're going to get there today because this is actually the last part of the sermon series for the summer. So I'm going to tell you a bunch of review things today, hoping that as you studied your Bible, you keep up with that. But we're going to go to the end of the sermon series today that you're going to get this year at Washington because this is my Blue Screen of Death series is what I'm teaching at Washington whenever you come. And there'll be different parts on different weeks. Sorry, every time we have a different group, we, can st- we sometimes start over. It's one of the things about Washington that can be fun. And Charles Wesley used to say, if you haven't preached 30 times, you haven't really got that sermon down anyhow. So, um, but I am doing it from revival. I'm talking to the church members primarily about how to be a vibrant Christian today as a Seventh-day Adventist. So the first thing I want to do is talk to you about John the Baptism. John the Baptist. Matthew 3, 1 to 3, you'll know this one. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Where's your hand? Hebrews is a very literal religion, folks. How close is your hand to you? Now, the thing that we have missed when we go to John 3, 3 and Nicodemus, and this is really important, this is one of those things you might want to write down on this paper as Jesus' relationship with his followers, is that the kingdom that he talks about, what he says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God that kingdom is not the kingdom of heaven where you're in heaven it's the kingdom of God on earth you must be born again to see God's kingdom and Nicodemus said oh and what did what did Jesus finally say to him Nicodemus if I tell you about heavenly earthly things and you can't understand it how are you going to understand these other things but John was talking Repent for the kingdom of God is hand. Who's his audience, by the way? Church members. Israel is the church of the day. John. So Jesus starts preaching, and we find out when Jesus started preaching, and this is in Matthew 4, it says Jesus began to preach, and he preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who was his audience? Israel. It was the church. The disciples went out. Jesus says, don't go all these places. Go to the lost sheep of the house of... Whoops. Lost sheep in Israel? Is that a scary concept? Matthew uh, 16 is a big one for me because that's the story in Matthew 16 where Peter is... The disciples are asked by Jesus, who do men say I am? And they go through all this list. They say, who do you say I am? And Peter speaks right up. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Five verses later, Jesus rebukes Satan, who is speaking through Peter. Peter didn't want him to go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you do not believe the things of God. See, I know I can be that person. I don't trust myself. Right? Trust? we got to be careful. 
we, we, when we study the Bible, we have to be careful because there are all sorts of fanatics out there, aren't there? Let me tell you a little story about, uh, about Washington. I came and pastored from 1998 to 2002 to Washington Church, Lebanon, Claremont. Then I came back as a volunteer pastor. I now work as a machinist. I worked as a teacher and some other things. And I used my work to pay for my hobby at Washington. I call Washington my hobby. Because um, I don't get paid by the conference. I'm a vol complete volunteer, so is my wife. And we feel very blessed to be able to do this. But in between the time, and while Cliff was pastoring it a few years ago, um, they actually had a vote taken there by the board of Washington that to be a member, you have to be local uh, lacto-oval vegetarian. To be a board member, you must be vegan. And to be an elder, you have to eat raw only. Now, that's fanaticism because that's not our standard. And we're not allowed to change our standards, right? But let me ask you a question. Is it possible that we do the same thing, that we're just not as open about it? For instance, for instance, what's the definition of sin? Transgression of law, that's a good Adventist answer. It's only one of three definitions in the New Testament. Listen to the, let me, let me give you another one. And by the way, this is why it's a dividing text, that John chapter 5, verse 44. If you're getting your honor from men only, now I'm going to add only, because it doesn't say getting honor from men's bad, but it's getting honor from men above God's honor is the problem okay so john 5 44 is a major text for me in this day and age where is your honor coming from are you working with god first and foremost with your core of who you are okay so let's go through this um romans 14 23 has another definition of sin that adventists don't like this much is it possible we need to repent? Romans 14, 23. Talking about different foods. People are eating food offered to idol, not to offer to idol, etc., etc. It says, uh, 14, 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Are there times we choose not to follow the path of faith? How about your church budget? Oh, no, no, it's presumption if we... If, if the money's not in the budget, there is no way we can authorize that, right? Is that a faith answer? If God wants you, calls you to do something or not? Let me give you a story. Back in Illinois in 1983, 
I was brand new Adventist. I'd been baptized in 1980, went right to Andrews, and rightly ran out of money. So I was home for the fall of 1983 when they had a praise and thanksgiving ser- service just before Thanksgiving, early November. And that day, I went to that on a Sunday, and a very tired-looking man about yay tall was there. His name was Danny Shelton. Anybody know Danny Shelton? Started a ministry called 3ABN. He was announcing he just found, been given property. He had just found out the electricity for no reason at all was taken from another place and the type of line he needed to use the mountaintop property he had in southern Illinois given to him and it was right at the edge of his property so they could because the guy said there's not no way you're going to have this electricity that you're going to need to make this type of an operation and then he talked about the minister who donated all the initial tv cameras and all that type stuff i'm sitting there listening to this guy now if he was in your church would he be able to have done that ministry today or would you say fanatic 1999 I asked Danny Shelton to be our guest speaker at Washington's annual meeting. I didn't get to speak to him hardly at all. I wanted to speak to him because I saw him then, and the ministry really took off. It was organized in 1984 uh, as as an actual business, et cetera. And I got to say, ask one question. I said, Danny, how much money do you have to raise for 3ABN every month? This is 1999, okay? We're a little past that, right? It's been a few years. And his answer is the answer that has guided me in what faith is. It's one of the three, a couple answers in my ministry. Do you know what he said? I don't have to raise anything. But if God doesn't raise $5 million every month, I'm going back to carpeting. Carpentering. Carpentering. I said, what? (laughs) He says, God's got to raise the money. It's not me. Right? When you look at your budget, are there things you would do if God raised the money? What would you do for this community if you were looking for what God is already doing? See, that's the point I'm trying to make here with John. God is at work in every town already. His kingdom is at work already. And the Bible is clear in the Gospel of John. He wants to show you your part. He won't show you my part. I had that happen one time. I had a lady come to me in my ministry early in Illinois and said, Pastor, I'm so excited. God has put the burden of this on, on that, that we should be doing this. I said, really? That sounds great. She says, yes, when are you going to start? I said, God hasn't put that burden on me. The question is, when are you going to start? See, we have an idea in this church that the ministers are the ones who we're supposed to get doing all this stuff. And you know Cliff has talked about it, and we have a body model from a few years ago uh, with Kim Johnson and all these other people say, the work will never get done if we leave it to the ministers. But let me tell you something. If the local church doesn't get it active, we're like a Ferrari as a church on blocks in our garage. Because the local church is the wheels of this denomination. If it doesn't happen here, it doesn't happen. Do you understand? 
So if you're waiting for some decree to come from the top, you're looking to men. God doesn't say the GC president is going to figure out what Laconia needs to do. He says the people in Laconia are going to be talking to me, and I will show them exactly which house to knock on if necessary, if you ask. Do you understand? I'm telling you, God is at work, and he wants to open doors for you because we're stuck in some ways, aren't we? Can't figure out how to get through all this stuff? Well, God knows. God already knows how this thing ends. And the Gospel of John, if you read it, will tell you that he wants to share that with you, that the Holy Spirit will teach you everything you need to know, including which neighbor's doors to knock on because they're ready. I want to be part of the 144,000, don't you? That is the remnant people of God. And the description is different than the remnant church. Repent for the kingdom of God, the faith. Now, I had a lady who was in Kansas, and I don't remember her name. Um, my wife and I had taken cookies to Enterprise Academy. She was the one who had to keep funding the kids at school who had problems. And we decided we had a couple kids there that we didn't want them to feel alone because it was so far away. So we decided every semester we were going to take dessert to our academy for the entire academy. There were 60 kids, typically. We had three churches in our district, four at a time, and we actually had a car loaded with pies for the first time. We found pie boxes, and they were stacked, and that was only one car. We had other parents, people who joined us, and they had pies in their car from the other churches. They had over 60 pies for those 60 kids when we went the first time. The kids told the girl that was uh, one of the parents said what did you do so what do you mean what did you do she said I don't, I don't understand if my parents and pastor showed up at my school on a Saturday night I would wonder what was going on I was just doing vespers for him and but I got to talk to this lady and I said how do you raise the funding she says I don't do it I'd let God do it. I said, really? She said, in fact, let me tell you a story from this week. Let me tell you a story from this week. She said, I had a guy call, and he says, God has impressed me to give money to Enterprise Academy. How much do you need? And she said, well, if God impressed you to give money to Enterprise Academy, God will tell you how much to give. And that was the end of her conversation with him for that. And that <clears throat> earlier that week, during the week, he came up to Enterprise Academy and presented them with a check for $10,000. She only knew about a need for $3,000. But while a man was sitting in her office two kids came into that room whose dad just got laid off we're out in rural Kansas jobs aren't easy to find and now she needed seven thousand more dollars she asked the kids have you prayed so oh, yeah we've prayed as soon as we heard it but we we don't know what to do from here and she says well good news God's already answered your prayer now, 
if she said, if I had told him I need $3,000, I'd still be looking for seven. But the fact is, God's in charge, and he's the one who knows the needs, and he needs to put the burden on the hearts, and he wants to speak to us. Now, do you think answer to prayer for those kids was important? Do you think they walked in believing that their God was caring for them? How about you? Whatever is not of faith is sin. Are you doing well on that, or do you need to repent? First John one eight nine is one of my favorite texts. First John one eight nine is the one that is close to the one where we talk about what sin is. It's about forgiveness, and I really think Adventists need to learn this text, what it says. If we're gonna be believers and part of the remnant church or the remnant people. 1 John 1, 8, 9. If I say, if we say to him that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. Is there any of you that are sin-free? You, do you have a sin problem? I have a sin problem. But God has an answer to the sin problem. What's the next verse say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from a part of that unrighteousness. Oh, whoa. So God says confession is the way to perfection, not acting perfect. Are you more worried about looking good than being good? Because we're talking about the heart, the soul, the depth of our heart. Now the other one that, and I, I misplaced the text for it, so I apologize, I can get it for those who want it. The, others, the other text says that to him who know to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So are there things you need to know? I spent an evening a couple Saturday nights ago watching a movie called um, Wonder. And I cried through the entire movie. Why? Not beca because I, I, I understood what was going on in that movie, and I was reliving all these in incidents from junior high and high school. I was in a public high school at junior high, and there were people who were hurt by things that happened to them just like that movie. And my, my frustration was I was reliving those things while I was watching the movie. And it wasn't that I did anything wrong, I just didn't step up to help. Do you understand? I was saying, well, I wish I could have. I wish I could have done something in this moment for that person. See, to him who knows to do right and does not act, to him it is sin. Are there things you've done that or didn't do that you didn't act upon, that maybe you need to repent of? Because this is the third definition. Let me give you how it kind of works out. James 4.17, yeah, I, I don't know why it didn't show up here, and I, it's probably there, um, but I don't use notes typically. 
I just so James 4:17 is the text that we're talking about. But as we go through this, let me tell you a story. This is early on in my ministry. My brother is a member of my church, but attending Andrews. I'm having prayer one day, and in that prayer, I hear God say, ask your brother to move his membership. He's living up there. I was given uh, a senior pastor at the conference that I went was to go to when I had questions. So I went to him and said, I have this impression I should ask my brother to move his membership because, you know, the conflict that that can bring. And he said, oh, no, don't worry about that. People pass through their relatives all the time in our church. Well, within three months, he was living with a girl who just had her husband leave. And that is called a rip in my family that I wouldn't have had had I acted. To this day, we're still having a strange relationship. But I'm talking about God impressed me and I took the word of man over the word of God. And I want to ask you the question because this is important. We have three types of sin. We only talk about the one we do really good at. That's like the Washington people. They're just really extreme on that. They, they only talk about food because it's all they're really good at. But they spent the whole day where the elder was speaking over Cliff Gleason one Sabbath morning. And Cliff finally said, I'm going downstairs. But you want to follow me down there? I'll talk with those who want to. The rest of you can stay with your elder. Okay? How do you treat people that badly? Listen, politically today, no party is outside of this issue. Right? We're treating people really, really poorly. That's why our light's going to shine when we get this right. But one of those things is we're going to have to step out of the darkness. As it gets darker and darker, you know, in Vietnam, smoking was the number one killer of our soldiers. Because people would smoke in the night and you could, a sniper could spot them with their little cigarette glow. And that's how many of them died at night. Because a fire or any sign of light gets brighter, even if you're a dim light these days, and maybe I'm a dim light, but the fact is, the darker it gets, the brighter that light shines. That's why when you get out in the middle of nowhere, it's like made of the camp, um, you see the whole Milky Way. Okay? So, here's the crux. Jesus says, if you want to be my friend, you have to see the kingdom. You must be born from above. That's John 3. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends because a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. So if you're going to be friends with Jesus, you have to see his kingdom, and when you see his kingdom, Jesus says, you're my friend. Because friendship requires you to know what God's up to. Now, let's talk about the last church. (coughs) Revelation 14, let's turn there. We're going to go right to the end of this series because I want to share with you that when I started joining, uh, started reading the great controversy, started studying, Revelation 14 was big for me. It's the three angels' message. Revelation 6 to 12. But it was even bigger because I was looking for the church. I was not looking for a church. 
When I started, I wanted a specific church that I knew was God's church. And I had people inviting me to all sorts of churches, some of them which scared me when I was walking in the door, because when they made their appeals, they put the largest deacons to the door that you couldn't leave. Literally. They had six foot six guys. I'm pretty, I was thin and tall then. I was quick. But I didn't think I could get out the door. And I just, oh, what's going on here? So I went to some interesting churches. But the Chicago paper, and I think it was the Tribune, but there were two at the time. I don't know if they are now. Um, wrote an article about Christianity and said there are 6,000 distinctly different doctrinal churches in North America. And I said, Lord, how am I ever going to find the church? Well, verse 12, or verse, uh, verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And right there, it went from 6,000 to 3. Seventh-day Baptist, at the time, the Seventh-day Church of God, which has since repudiated the Sabbath, though some of them have kept it, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church. See which one I picked? Seventh-day Baptists have never been a worldwide movement. Seventh-day Church of God was a North American movement and was, was growing, but we're the only one who has a message that says we're going to go to every kindred, nation, tongue, and people. And it says we're going to worship the Creator. Why are you here today? We're worshiping the Creator. But we got a problem. Because the remnant people doesn't necessarily mean the rem—I mean, the remnant church isn't necessarily the remnant people. And that's what I'm looking for today, just as passionately as I wanted to find the remnant church. I want to find the remnant people. So I've been looking at this. And do you know Revelation 14, 1 to 5 is about the 144,000? And it gives two distinct descriptions of the remnant people and i'm going to call you today to take those two descriptions and ask if you'll join me in following those two descriptions so you are part of the remnant church and the remnant people within that church so let's take a look at revelation 14 1 to 5 then i looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion with himself, 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Don't you want that? Don't, the forehead's your intelligence. God says he's going to write his law on our hearts and our minds. He says his name is going to be written in us. It means we're going to stop chasing the wrong things because our mind is following God that much. And I heard... A voice from heaven like voice of many waters and like a voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sounds of harpists playing their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. So these are a redeemed people. These are the ones which are not defiled with women. This is a pure church. That's what prophecy tells us. It is pure doctrinally. That's the remnant church, folks. Do we have our doctrines down? People don't like arguing with Adventists. We haven't learned to do apologetics very well because we could do better at how we argue, but the fact is, we're the ones that even the Catholics put in their 
catechism saying if you're really following the Bible, you should be a Seventh-day Adventist because they're the only ones who keep the Sabbath the way the Bible teaches. Everybody else is following us. I was still in my last years when that became part of the catechism before I became an Adventist. These are the ones who are not defiled with women. They are virgins. These are the ones, here's the description, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men and are first fruits to, were first fruits to God and to the Lamb. These are what? They follow Jesus wherever He goes. How do you do that if you don't have God leading you personally every day? So I tell you, it's simple and not easy. You have to wake up and say, God, what do you want to show me today about your kingdom here at my house and all around us? Because the kingdom is right at hand. How close is your hand? You're going to see all sorts of things when you start looking for it. I wasn't looking for it for over 20 years. I was doing a, a Bible study on the Gospel of John with my kids at Pi Pioneer Junior Academy, and I said, whoa, John 3, 3 is about the kingdom on earth. We're supposed to be looking for the kingdom on earth. My Catholic blind spot, because people I have a friend who calls me a recovering Catholic. My blind spot, because of my training said that the kingdom that we're looking for is heaven. And Jesus said, no, no, the kingdom's here on earth. By the way, John 4, the woman at the well, there is no plants growing that are ready to harvest. That's why the disciples don't understand Jesus when he said the fields are white with harvest. All the Samaritans were coming. We can't hire them. We can't talk to them. That, those people can't be saved. And Jesus said, no, 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 I got this whole world covered. And today, I want to show you what the kingdom looks like. It looks like a group of Samaritan men that the woman brought. That's the kingdom. That was the harvest. That's why Jesus said, I have food you don't understand yet. Because if you've ever baptized some, someone, you don't need to eat for a while. If you've ever brought someone to Jesus where they say, I want to come to church with you next week, you have food that people just don't understand. Okay? But look at this. The first thing is they follow the lamb wherever the lamb goes. And the second part says, and in their mouth was no guile. Do you know what guile is? Fish bait. What's fish bait? Something looks really good on the outside with a hook on the inside that can kill you. Something that looks good on the outside, but the inside has a hook. It's a deception. For they are without fault before God's throne. They have confessed and they have become core Christians following God inside and out. I'm a machinist. I work at a brooch. This week I've actually had a singing brooch. It does five octaves of scales as I broach the hole in the part, the shape it's supposed to be. And then it stops when I go. The brooch is actually like a tuning fork with the string shortening as it goes in to take the part out. I put keyways and splines in hubs for pulleys. But I sing songs that I write about my experience. And I've written a kind of a song. I steal them, the music, just like our old Adventist friends do. 
I steal music because I can't write music. I'm a drummer. I was in drums. I can do rhythms. My problem is I hear a rhythm from one of the machines and I think of certain songs that are based on that rhythm. But this one I took because it has short verses and I, I decided to, to write an experience for this. And it starts out with I. I because I'm going to do it myself. This is my, my, my commitment to God about being the 144,000. Then I, I do two things with that. I do one about my commitment, about being at my core, following God, and I remind myself I'm a sinner in need of grace. Then I move to we, because I'm looking for a group of people to join me. And then I'm doing theology statements, just like our early pioneers sang theology. They had three things that they did. They had the Bible, they had the Review and Herald, and they had their hymnal. And our songs are full of theology. I miss one of my favorite songs, and if you come to Washington, we pull it out. If there's an organist, just over the mountains is that promised land. We are nearing home. We are nearing home. I love that song, so we're going to sing that more often because we got the music from the old hymnal, and I have sheets to pass out, and I collect. But here's a song. I'm going to sing it to you, and if you want to sing the verse after me, if you could pick it up real quick, we'll do that. I don't have any music because I'm not that good, okay? I'm not going to fake it. No, I'm not going to fake it with Jesus. I'm going to be authentic to my core. Okay? You want to sing that? Is that something you would like to do with Jesus? I'm not going to fake it. No, I'm not going to fake it with Jesus. I'm going to be authentic to my core. Okay, the second verse is about the sin problem. It's 1 John 1, 8, and 9. I've got a sin problem, but my God knows how to solve them, and I'm going to walk with Jesus evermore. I've got a sin problem, but I'm not supposed how to solve them, and I'm going to walk with Jesus evermore. Okay, let's try that again because I goofed up. I've got a sin problem, but God knows how to solve them, and I'm going to walk with Jesus evermore. Then the next verse is, how long am I going to walk with Jesus, and where am I going to walk with Jesus? I'm going to walk with Jesus wherever he chooses to lead us, and I'm going to walk right through heaven's door. I'm going to walk with him through heaven's door. I'm going to walk with Jesus wherever he chooses to lead us. And I'm going to walk with Jesus through heaven's door. Okay, then we'd go to the, the we of those two songs, the two verses. We're not going to fake it. No, we're not going to fake it with Jesus. We're going to be authentic to the core. We've got a sin problem, but our God knows how to solve them, and we're going to follow Jesus evermore. Then we're going to do the theology of the church, okay? The theology of the church is, the church is about the people, not a building with steeples, and we're going to follow Jesus through heaven's door. 
The church is about the people, not a building with the steeple. And we're going to follow Jesus through heaven's door. We're not going to fake it. No, we're not going to fake it with Jesus. I'm going to be authentic to the core. Now, that's all about the guile issue, right? We're going to follow Jesus. That's the one description of the 144,000. Now, let's talk about the guile even more directly. Jesus says it's been a while since his people walked without guile. But we're going to make him smile once more. Jesus says it's been a while since his people lived without guile. But we're going to make him smile once more. So we're not going to fake it. No, we're not going to fake it with Jesus. We're going to be authentic to the core. See, I sing that songs like this because I have earphones on that keep me from going deaf from the sound, the, the noise, and I have nobody around me. And I have my devotional thinking, and I contemplate. And this is a song I, I wrote specifically as a reaction to Revelation 14. It is by, referred to it as the 144,000 song. And so I'll post that on the Washington website if you want the words. And I have a little sidebar on that right now that tells you the different thoughts that I was thinking as I did it. Okay? So if you want that, um, you could have that. But I want you to make a commitment today. It's got to be in your heart that you will commit to not just being a part of this remnant church, but be a part of that remnant of people, the 144,000 as described in Revelation 1 to 5. Our closing hymn is number 623, I Will Follow Thee, My Savior. Another traditional but powerful hymn of um, walking with Jesus. Number 623. 
Father, you know the commitments that have been made here today. And we'd like it if you would just nudge us each and every day. Nudge us to be able to follow through every day looking for your kingdom. Opening up doors, windows, little places we can find to reach out to people who you've already called. Just like you called us so long ago. And for some of us so recently. Because you're still calling people, Lord. We want to be used. Open our eyes to your kingdom around us. Use your Holy Spirit to teach us all things, Lord. All things, including who is ready to hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.